Father, we, we have so much to be thankful for, God. We thank you this morning for our salvation. We thank you for sending your son to die for us. And we thank you for loving us the way that you do. We thank you for the hope that we have in, in eternity. We, we, we thank you for this group, this body of believers, God, that, that, uh, that, you, that, are, that have assembled together this morning. I pray, God, that you would just do a work in our midst. I pray, God, that you would uh, change lives and save lives. And I pray, God, that you would receive the glory through our time spent here this morning. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we, last week we finished 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and in my last two messages that I did, they were spread out a little bit, but the last two messages that I covered were the last six verses of chapter 4. And, and what, those, what those verses had to do with is they had to do with the details that were surrounding the rapture, and they had to do with words of comfort and, and peace for those who have lost loved ones. And, and as we begin chapter 5 this morning, which is, man, I can't believe it, this is the last chapter of this book. It's one of the longer chapters, so I'm sure I'll milk it for all it's worth, but we're, we've already reached the last chapter of this incredible book. And, and what I want us to do as this chapter begins this morning is I want us to notice this transitional word that the chapter begins with to kind of help us get our bearings as to what the context of the passage is. And it's, and it's this word, but. Okay? You, I, I, and I want you to see what this transition is about. I, I, I believe it's very important that I show you guys things like this because my goal up here, it, it, it's... It isn't just to give you a few little words of wisdom to take with you to work tomorrow. That, uh, no, I want you to see how I arrived at the conclusions that I'm giving you because you should never take my word for it. I want you to see it for yourself, and I want to be sure that you understand how to do that for yourself because it's so important for us to see the context of whatever passage it is that we're studying because without the context, well, we can make it say whatever we jolly well please, can't we? We can make it say whatever we want. The key reason that there are so many different denominations in Christianity is because of violating this principle of context, violating the context of a passage. So I want you to see the context and I also want to be sure that you're understanding this as you study your Bible throughout the week. Because my prayer is, I pray that you're getting a ton out of Sunday morning. But if that's the only time that you're getting fed in a week's time, then you will be severely spiritually malnourished. So I want to be sure we understand how to feed ourselves. So, so with that said, here's what this transition is about as chapter 5 begins. We have gone from talking about the rapture, as you guys know, to talking about the day of the Lord. Look at it with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 3. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. This term, the day of the Lord, it shows up 31 times in the Bible. And every time, it's referencing the second coming and some of the events and times around it. Now, now with, with some of the details in verse 3, we can see that actually what we're talking about more specifically here is, is we're talking about the second coming or we're talking about the advent, with the time when Jesus Christ physically touches back down on this planet. So, so though this phrase in general, it, it encompasses more end times events than just the second coming, here it's a clear reference to the second coming or the advent 
based on the verses and the words around it. Verse 2 talks about the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. And so we begin to understand pretty fast that he's talking about the advent here. We'll probably get into more details surrounding this phrase next week. But just to help us for the purposes this week of just getting our footing a little bit, I want to at least give you that much. Now, now let me just remind you of the way that things shake out in the end to be sure that we have an understanding of, of the difference between the rapture and the second coming because they are easy to get confused. Like we've been studying, the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. We're waiting to meet Jesus in the sky like the end of chapter 4 plainly laid out for us. And once we're raptured out of here, the seven-year tribulation period will ultimately be ushered in around that time. And the tribulation period ends with the second coming, where Jesus physically touches down on earth. You see, at the rapture, we meet Jesus in the sky. At the second coming, he's touching down on earth, and the Bible actually teaches us he's bringing us with him. We, we could say it like this. At the rapture, Jesus removes us from the earth and takes us with him as he physically meets us in the sky. And at the second coming, Jesus brings us to earth and brings us back with him as he physically touches down on earth. And so I just want us to see how Paul is transitioning into this different topic in chapter 5. Yeah, we're still talking about eschatology or the events of the end times, but, but now we're talking about a different event. And what Paul says here in chapter 5 that we just read is that this thing of the times in the seasons of when the day of the Lord is or when the second coming is, he says, you guys have this so down pat, I really don't even need to write to you guys about this thing. He says, the Thessalonians, man, they, they understood this thing of the day of the Lord or the second coming. They, they had a really good grasp on that thing. And when Paul says that, what we understand is, is that he's not only transitioning topics, he's actually making a contrast. And what he's contrasting this with is what we just recently studied at the end of chapter 4 regarding the rapture. Because if you'll recall, the rapture was something that the Thessalonians did not understand at all. They got the, the second coming thing, they had that. But the rapture, they didn't, they didn't get it. That's why 1 Thessalonians 4.13, you remember this? It says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. And Paul goes from there and begins explaining the details surrounding the rapture. And I want you to see that as this verse shows us, the Thessalonians were ignorant as far as their understanding of the rapture was concerned. It's why God framed it the way that he did. But, like 1 Thessalonians 5.1 says, but in contrast to that, they were so familiar with the times and the seasons surrounding the second coming that they had no need that, that there's no need that Paul write them, to them about it. And so I explain that to you so that we were clear on the distinction between talking about the rapture at the end of chapter 4 and talking about the second coming at the beginning of chapter 5. The topic has changed and a contrast has been made. They were ignorant about the rapture, but they knew about the day of the Lord. Okay, so now that we understand that context and we have a better grasp on it, I want us to dig in just a little bit further and make sure that we understand these times and seasons that Paul's talking about in chapter 5. But, but first, I think we need to ask ourselves, can I understand the times and the seasons? Can I understand? Can we really understand the times and the seasons? In other words, can we understand where we are right now on God's timeline? Is that something we're able to understand? So let me, let me play devil's advocate for you for a second, which sounds like a really terrible thing to do in church. My, Morgan tells, my wife tells me, she says, she says, don't say devil's advocate. Say, play the contrarian. Don't say play devil's advocate. 
I'm going to play the contrarian. I'm going to play the contrarian for you. According to the Bible, are we sure we can understand the times and the seasons? Now, it appears that we can from our passage here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at it again with me in verse, starting in verse 1. It says, But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Okay, so this passage says the times and the seasons of the second coming were something the Thessalonians could know, they could understand, and it's something that they did understand. But, but let me address a couple passages real quick that would seem to say the exact opposite of this. For example, someone may be thinking, hey, how can we understand the details about the times and the seasons around the second coming when I thought that Jesus said in Mark chapter 13 and verse 32 that no man knows the day or the hour. And that is true. But I, but I want to point out, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, though we can't know the day or the hour, we can know the times and the seasons. In other words, we can't get it exact, but we can get close. Now, now there's another verse about understanding the times and the seasons that I think it's really important that I point out to you. And it's in Acts chapter 1. And in this verse, in Acts chapter 1, it appears that Jesus is telling his disciples the exact opposite of what I've just told you. In Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, uses the exact same phrase. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.1, Paul says to the Thessalonians, you guys know the times and the seasons so well and so perfectly that I don't really even need to write unto you. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, Jesus said to the disciples, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. So which one is it? Riddle me that, Batman. Can we know the times and the seasons, or can we not? Now, now, I'm about to go into some things that some of you will be familiar with, some of you could use refreshing on, and some of you have never heard it before a day in your life. But, but, but I want to make sure that we understand what we're going to cover, because if you can follow along with what we're about to cover, it will really help you get some handles on the big picture of what is going on in your Bible and what is going on in the world. We've covered a lot of things in this study of 1 Thessalonians so far that are pretty easy and pretty simple to understand about being about discipleship, about living pure lives, and, and a lot of that is pretty easy to follow along with. It's like, yeah, I, I, I get it. But with some of what we're covering this morning, I know you have one hour less sleep today, but I, but I need you to, to work with me just a little bit harder than, than maybe you, you usually have to. Can, can you do that with me? We're, we're going we're gonna to dig in just a, just, a, just a little bit more. Okay. So in order to answer the question of whether or not we can know the times and the seasons of the second coming, first I want us to understand some things about Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 that's still on the screen. And some of what's important that we understand here is, is that what was, is what was just said a few verses earlier in this chapter. So in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, just a few verses earlier, it shows us that after Jesus was risen, he spent 40 days on this earth. And in that 40 days, he spent a good portion of his time with the disciples speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Do you see that in the verse? Now this is, now this is huge. Because Jesus knows he's down to his last 40 days on earth. And this is the subject matter he chooses to talk about to his disciples. And that's how he chose to spend his last 40 days. Talking about 
the kingdom of God. In fact, the end of Luke 24, it, it almost serves as a commentary to Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Because Luke 24, Jesus has risen. He's talking to his disciples. And the passage details some of what Jesus was saying to them about the kingdom of God. And as we're getting some of those details, Luke 24, 45 teaches us that in the midst of teaching them about the kingdom of God, do you see what he did? It says, then, he open, he, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Jesus was opening their understanding to help them get what this thing of the kingdom of God is all about. Now, the kingdom of God that Jesus was telling the disciples about in those 40 days is something very important for us to understand as well. And in order to understand that, there's a very important key detail that we need to be aware of. And it's the fact that in the Bible, the phrase, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two different things. Now, as we're reading through the Bible in a year, and even if we're casually studying the Bible, it's easy to skim over that and not notice that there's a difference or just assume that the Bible is talking about the same thing. And listen, there are very few people that study the Word of God in such a way that they ever understand there's a difference between these two kingdoms. Now, I'm not saying that I have studied it in such a way. I have been around a lot of smart people in my life. And so I have reaped great, been graciously benefited from reaping the benefit of being taught these things. It would have been challenging to come up with on your own. There is no doubt. But there's very few people that, under, that understand this. But I think it's very important that we do because, oh my goodness, once you understand the difference... The Bible makes so much more sense. It's going to open it up for you if, you if you've never understood this. Okay, so how do we know there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? I mean, they do sound at least similar, right? And to steal a line from a good friend of mine, for starters, we know because God and heaven are, God and heaven are two different words that are spelled with different letters that mean different things. That's one, of, that's one of the reasons that we know. You see, God is a person, and heaven is a place. It's the place that God resides. But there's a big difference between those terms. It's like assuming the kingdom of Justin and the kingdom of earth are the same thing. Just because the earth is where I reside, we would never think that, would we? But be, I don't have a kingdom, by the way. I wish I did. <laughs> Um, but, but beyond that, the way these kingdoms are described in the Bible is the primary reason that we know these two kingdoms are different, because God describes them in different ways. So now, and my goal isn't to make this an exhaustive study to where we just lay this whole thing out this entire time. Many of you have heard this before, but on this topic, but I do want to at least give you a taste, and I feel like I need to give you a taste because of these verses that seem to contradict 1 Thessalonians 5.1. So when we study how the Bible describes these kingdoms, here's what we see. We see that it teaches us that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom that is primarily connected to us, the Gentiles. The kingdom of God, it, 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 the, the kingdom of heaven is a literal, physical kingdom primarily connected to the nation of Israel. Are you with me so far? The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, and it's not flesh and blood. The kingdom of God is within you. It's a spiritual reality. The kingdom of heaven is a literal, physical kingdom on the earth where a king rules and reigns okay now remember when we get to this passage in acts chapter one we just saw in luke that jesus has been spending time with his disciples and he's he's opened the eyes of their understanding and he's been teaching them 
And according to Acts 1-3 that we looked at, he's been teaching them about a kingdom, hasn't he? Which kingdom was he teaching them about in Acts 1-3? He was teaching them about the kingdom of God. Now, watch what happens when we get to verse 6 of Acts 1. It says, when they therefore were come, to, were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, this is where the, the commentaries in the theologians will typically jump in and say, now these pea-brained numbskull disciples, They've just been taught about the kingdom for 40 days. And look at the stupid question that they ask. But I don't think they're quite as dumb as maybe we're making them out to be. Maybe they were on to something. Because what they're saying is, we now understand the things pertaining to the kingdom of God that we didn't previously understand. But is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus, is this the time now when the literal, physical kingdom will actually be on the earth where you will sit on the throne of David? Is it time for that yet? Are you seeing that? They're understanding the kingdom of God now that Jesus has spent 40 days teaching them all about it. But they're saying... What about the other kingdom, though, that we know about? What about the kingdom of heaven where you restore the literal physical kingdom to Israel? Now, here's what we have to understand that very few understand in the opening chapters of the book of Acts. In these chapters, God is still wanting to set up his literal physical kingdom on the earth. That hasn't changed since the beginning. Do you remember what the forerunner for Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, was preaching when he came? Do you remember what the Bible teaches us? Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the literal physical one. And what did they do to John? Do you remember? Off with his head. Then Jesus comes along. Jesus preached the same thing, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, it tells us that he did. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus goes as far to say to the disciples in, in a couple chapters later in Matthew 10, 5, have you ever seen how far he takes it? He says, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles. You've always wondered why he said that, didn't you? Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. Remember the Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus comes along, and he preaches the same thing as John the Baptist. And what did they do to Jesus? They crucified him. They killed him too. Now, now notice, by Jesus' command to not go to the Gentiles, or to the Samaritans, again, the kingdom of heaven is inherently Jewish in nature. Because keep in mind, when it's being offered, God is primarily dealing with the Jews to be the vessel in which he spreads God's light would be spread. The transition to God dealing primarily with the Gentiles that comprise the church, it hadn't happened yet. Now, now, now think about this for a second. Have you ever wondered why there's so much killing in the Old Testament? <laughs> I know you've wondered that. You're going, it's like there's a big, there's something different that happens between the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. You, you've had to have wondered that. 
it's because throughout the Old Testament, what was happening? God was moving to get his people into the promised land to establish a physical kingdom on the earth from which Jesus would sit and rule and reign. And so the nation of Israel is fighting physical battles because it's all about a physical kingdom. You guys are letting me get ahead of myself now. But, but, but again, Jesus comes preaching the message of the kingdom of heaven and they kill him. And do you remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross? He, he says in Luke 23, starting in verse 34 and 37, it says, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what we do. We all know that verse. Now, who was it that Jesus said to forgive? Who's the them? The them is, is the nation of Israel. And, and, that, and what didn't they understand when they crucified Jesus? Well, they didn't understand that he was God, but verse 37 gives us insight into what else people weren't understanding. The soldier said to Jesus, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. You see, they didn't understand that before Jesus would sit on the throne as king of this earthly physical kingdom, first he had to die. They're saying to him, listen, if you're the promised king that's supposed to sit on the throne, then there's nothing that should be able to stop you from doing that, all the prophecies there about you. So how can we stop you? You should be able to save yourself. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to Acts 1 and look at this again. Let me, let me remind us where we are. Again, it says, it, it says, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2 says that the Thessalonians know the times and the seasons perfectly. So, is it not for us to know the times and the seasons, or can we know them perfectly? And, he, and, 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 and here's something else in the midst of that that's important to understand. Between Acts and 1 Thessalonians, 30 years has passed since Jesus spoke those words to the disciples in Acts and when Paul spoke those words in 1 Thessalonians. Now check this out. God's wanting to set up his kingdom on the earth, we've seen the Jews rejected John the Baptist and they rejected the Messiah himself. But despite that, in the early chapters of Acts, listen, the kingdom of heaven is still being preached. In Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, just look and see what the message is and who the audience is. It, all through the passage, he's talking about the men of Israel, the, the Jews dwelling in Jerusalem. He's still talking to the Jews. He's still talking about a literal, physical kingdom. When you look at Acts 7, you see a guy by the name of Stephen. And Stephen is preaching a message. And you know what the message is all about? It's all about a kingdom that God wants to bring to the earth. And Stephen is saying, do you understand that all this prophecy in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ? And do you remember what they did to Stephen? That's right. They stoned him. Now listen, there's something here in Acts 7 that's very interesting and very important that I want you to see. It's Acts 7, in Acts 7.54. Stephen has just finished laying all this stuff out. He's ripping into him, saying, you just crucified the Messiah. And they're about to stone him. In verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, if we were to just begin to go through the Word of God and look up the right hand of God, you know what we'd find? 
Every other time the right hand of God is mentioned, Jesus is sitting down. He's seated at the right hand. Every time except for this one in the entire Bible. Now, do you think that's just a random detail that got messed up or there's some other reason? Or do you think that maybe God was putting bright lights on this? And he's saying, what am I standing for? Why am I standing? Was Jesus giving Stephen a standing ovation? You're doing good. Uh, No, Jesus was standing because if the nation of Israel would repent, he's standing ready and waiting to come back to set up the kingdom on the earth. But instead of repenting, they stoned him. So John the Baptist brings the message of the kingdom of heaven and they cut his head off. Strike one. Jesus brings the message of the kingdom of heaven and they crucify him. Strike two. Stephen brings the message of the kingdom of heaven and they stone him. Strike three. You're out. So so this happens to Stephen in chapter seven and then Saul immediately shows up in the next chapter. The first verse of the next chapter, Acts 8 in chapter 1. Saul shows up, and of course we know Saul eventually becomes Paul, who wrote half the New Testament. And what was he known as being? The apostle to the Gentiles shows up in Acts chapter 8. Would you look at that? Then in Acts chapter 5, we're introduced to Philip. In Acts, excuse me, Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, we're, we're introduced to Philip. And it says something very interesting all of a sudden. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now, now what was that that Jesus told the disciples that we just looked at? Don't go the way of the Samaritans. And here, Philip is going to the Samaritan. He's going to the half-Jew, half-Gentile. So the Jews get strike three, and do you see what's happening? If it isn't clear yet, look at what verse 12 of Acts chapter 8 says. It says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Do you see that? Something big has happened between the beginning, between, between Acts and 1 Thessalonians. In fact, something big has happened between Acts 1 and Acts 8. You see, you, see, you may have heard us refer before to the time we're living in right now to a parenthesis. It's a parenthesis that's called the time of the Gentiles or the church age, the age of grace. And God is now in this age preaching a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom of God is within us. Where does God rule and reign right now? On the earth? No, he reigns in us in a spiritual way. So in Acts 1, when Jesus is asked about restoring the physical kingdom of heaven to Israel... He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. And that's because Israel still had one more chance in Acts 7. They had it in Acts 7 and they stoned Stephen. And now things have changed. God is evidently a baseball fan because strike three and they were out. And so in 1 Thessalonians, as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he understands now we're in a different time, and it's a time where we're able to follow the times and the seasons very well. Listen, y'all, the the key to the Word of God are the words of God, and when you study them as we've been called to do, it opens up a whole new world. So this thing about the times and the seasons between the verse between Acts 1 and, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2, it wasn't a contradiction. It was a way that God was trying to shine more light about the times and the seasons. That's what he was up to. 
So what we're seeing from 1 Thessalonians 5, we understand that the times and the seasons, those are things that we can know, and there's something God wants us to know. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Now, just to remind you, as a lot of you know, God went to great lengths to ensure that his people would recognize who he was at his first coming. I mean, the Old Testament laid that thing out very clearly, and it's full and overrunning with prophecies about Jesus' first coming, which, of course, he fulfilled in the person of Christ. And what we see in Luke 12 is that Jesus is busting the chops of the religious leaders because they didn't know the times of Christ's first coming. Luke 12 and verse 56, he says, Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? You don't understand the time that you're living. So listen, the reason Jesus is calling them out about this is because God had revealed the truth about Jesus first coming to them in the scriptures. So this was something that they were responsible to know. It's something that they could and should know. They were to know and recognize that this was Jesus the Messiah, and knowing that should make them act accordingly. Because they certainly didn't act accordingly, and they didn't treat Jesus like he was the Messiah, and it's because they didn't realize who he was. Do you already see where I'm going with this? You see, we're accountable today in the same way. We've been left with a book that's filled with all kinds of teaching and prophecy about the times and the seasons that we're living in, and we're accountable to know those things. When Jesus is talking to the people that they should have known about their time, he says, you hypocrites, how do you know all that you know and you don't know this? How are you not recognizing that I'm the guy? Could it be that Jesus wants to say some, to some of us, you hypocrites, how can you know all of this about the weather? And how can you know all of this about technology? And we're up to date with all the details of the news and our favorite sports teams and nutrition and go down the list and we know all these things. And Jesus says, how do you know about all that but you don't understand the time? But, but here's the question. Why is it important to know what time it is? Why, why is that important? What's the, what's the benefit of knowing? What does knowing the times and the seasons do? What does knowing the times and the seasons do? I mean, it, it's going to shake out how it's going to shake out. And so, hey, man, if I'm saved, then what will be what will be? We'll, uh, you know, and, I, and I, I do get that line of human, human reasoning. It just doesn't happen to be God's reasoning. And, and, and we get some insight as to what the benefit of knowing is from 1 Chronicles chapter 12 in verse 32. I want you to notice how the children of Issachar are described in this verse. This is, pre this is, this is pretty interesting. 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32 it says, and of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, and what was the benefit in understanding the times? To know what Israel ought to do. Do you see that? Because they had an understanding of the times, they knew what Israel ought to do. And that's what makes knowing the times and the seasons so important because knowing the times and the seasons that we're living in it it lets us know what we ought to do and if we don't know the times and the seasons we're not going to know all that we ought to do and we're going to be prone to losing our way out there when when you're playing let's say a, a football game right you play the game a little differently based on what time it is don't you when you come out of halftime and you start the, the third quarter, you burn your timeouts all, all there right at the beginning of the third quarter at the drop of a hat. No, you don't, you don't burn your timeouts, right? You save some of those. 
Because if you're down seven with a minute left, you understand what time it is and you start using your timeouts. <laughs> and you might start running out of bounds to stop the clock. You wouldn't have done that in the first quarter, but now you know what time it is. You, you might spike the ball and, and waste it down to stop the clock when you're down seven with a minute left. Because if you're out of timeouts, you know what time it is, and you've got to spike the ball to stop the clock. It's worth burning the down at that point. You see, you've got to understand what time it is. It changes things. You see, in understanding the time, it lets you know what you ought to do. And if we have an understanding of what time it is on God's prophetic clock, then we'll know what we ought to do. And we'll know how we ought to walk and how we're to use our time and how we're to use our resources at this time. But, but what does knowing the times and the season let us know we ought to be doing specifically? If knowing the times and the season lets us know what we ought to do, then what ought we to do? So in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, we get some really great insight into this exact thing. In, in 2 Peter 3, Peter is talking about the day of the Lord, which is what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. The Thessalonians knew perfectly the day of the Lord. And in verse 10 of 2 Peter 3, it says, just like 1 Thessalonians 5 says, that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And then verse 11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought he to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So in other words, if you see these things and if you understand these things, then just like the men of Issachar had the understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do, Peter's saying if you have the understanding and you see these things, then you'll know what you ought to do too. And, when he, and what he says here in verse 11 is seeing these things will cause us to live a holy and godly life. It'll cause us to live a holy and godly life. That's letter A on your study sheet. Verse 11 says, a holy conversation. And, and, and of course, that doesn't just mean what we talk about when we converse. It, 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 it means your manner of life, holy in every part of your life. He's saying understanding the times, it lets us understand what we ought to do and this passage shows us one of those things is living a holy and godly life. Verse 14 of the same chapter describes it like this. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, now here's how it works. If we know what time it is from God's perspective... And we know how close we actually are to Daniel's 70th week kicking off. Then you don't need me up here saying. Now, don't you go committing adultery this week. Don't you go fornicating this week. Don't be going to websites. You know, you shouldn't be going to don't be jealous of your friend and your neighbor. Don't be doing whatever your go to sin is. If you understand the times You'll give all diligence to be sure that when he comes back, you'll be without spot and blameless. That you're living a holy and godly life. Isn't that what 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 says? It, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So he's talking about Christ's return. Verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him, the hope of Christ's return, purifieth himself even as he is pure. So Peter is saying, if you understand the times and you recognize this, you will be diligent to purify yourself. There's something else that Peter tells us that knowing the times and seasons will reveal to us about what we ought to do. It, it reveals to us that we ought to win the lost. Letter B, it reveals to us that we ought to win the lost. In this passage in 2 Peter chapter 3 that we've been 
cross-referencing with 1 Thessalonians 5. It says in 2 Peter 3.15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Verse 9, it says something similar in the same chapter. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What Peter is saying here is, y'all, he's saying the only reason Jesus hasn't already come back is because He's long-suffering. So when He delays, count it as that. And he desires and he longs for those that are still separated from him to come into a relationship with him. And if we understand how short the time is in this season that we're calling the church age or the age of grace, and we understand that the rapture ultimately ushers in what Malachi calls the great and dreadful day of the Lord, when we understand that and truly believe that, you know what that should cause us and motivate us to do? To get out there into the world outside of the four walls of this building to the people that need the message of the gospel. A message that has been placed in our trust. So every minute that goes by that Jesus doesn't come back, it's long-suffering. He's not slack concerning His promises. Oh, don't you worry, He's coming back. But if he tarries, it's because he desires that, that all would respond in salvation to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ before it's too late. And who is it again that God intends to use to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world? It's us, the body of Christ. It's us. God is long-suffering to give people more time to call on His name for salvation and to give us more time to reach people with the gospel before He comes back. So Peter tells us that, that knowing the times and seasons, it'll show, the, show us that we ought to live a holy and godly life and that we ought to get out there into the world and win the lost. And then next Peter tells us that it should cause us to grow spiritually. It should cause us Letter C, to grow spiritually. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 17, he's continuing on this same path and he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. Now let me point out, Someone that has been truly saved can't fall from their salvation, but they can fall from their steadfastness. Steadfastness, it's their, their stability. We can fall from the stability that we have in Christ and start getting thrown around and tossed around and led away with the error of the wicked. Verse 18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and and forever. Amen. And I want you to see what God is teaching us here in verse 18. You see, he's making sure we realize and he's making sure that we remember what this thing of growth is all about. Verse 18 says we're to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. It's about knowing his person. Do you understand that? We've got to get beyond just this simply the, the words and the facts and the interesting little nuggets of the Bible and the tickle our ear out of curiosity and get to the God that's behind all of that. And when we do that, we begin to have intimacy in our relationship with the Lord and we begin to desire and long for His ultimate glory which he won't receive until after the second coming because he surely isn't getting it now. And there's no denying the connection between us longing for his ultimate glory and us giving him the glory in our lives right now. 
That's, there's no denying that connection. That's why the end of verse 18 says, To him be glory both now and forever. They go hand in hand as we genuinely long for him to get the glory he deserves in the future. We end up giving him the glory he deserves right now. Verse 17 says, seeing that we know these things before, we ought to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It should cause us to grow spiritually. And and, and here's what it comes down to. God has given us his word, which has given us the ability to understand the times and the seasons. And understanding the times and the seasons, y'all, is so important because it shows us what we ought to do. It'll cause us to live a holy and godly life when we understand how late it is. It'll cause us to win the lost. It'll cause us to grow spiritually. You understand what time it is? If you understand what time it is, it'll change the way that you live. Father, we're, we're thankful that we, we get to live in a day and time where we, we may be the ones that get raptured off of this planet, God. But we know this much. It's late in the game, God, and you have given us the ability to understand that it's late. You've given us the ability to understand the times and the seasons. And understanding the times and the seasons, your word tells us, that shows us what we ought to do, God. And God, I pray that we wouldn't just consume truth from your word without finding outlets to pour it back out, God, into other people. I pray, God, that this would, understanding these things, it would cause us to really jolt us into gear, that we would live holy and pure lives, God, that we would sense the urgency behind sharing the gospel with the people that we know, Lord, and that you would just use us mightily at our workplace. You would use us in our homes. You would use us wherever that we go and that we would understand these times and that we would understand and do what we ought to do. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.